0: live stream going here momentarily, and I think I'm a little low, Stephen, again. I'm going to go to Ephesians, uh, the third chapter, and I'm just going to read the whole chapter three of Ephesians. I the book of Ephesians, I think, is one of the most important books. I, all the books of the Bible are important. But uh, the Ephesians, the book of Ephesians really speaks to the church in these days, uh, in these times. And uh, so I really highly commend it to you. Uh, so, but I'm going to begin reading with verse 1. <clears throat> for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles... according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, you might not have heard of this guy, but uh, Father Sergio Benitez is a priest who operates a small orphanage in Mexico. Uh, when he was a kid, he'd gotten into some trouble with drugs Uh, so when he was in his early 20s he went into the priesthood to turn his life around committed his life to the Lord now after training in Rome and Spain he became a mild-mannered priest helping impoverished and parentless kids, quietly trying to steer them away from the troubled youth that he had experienced himself but Father Benitez had a secret identity. He has a, he's still alive. He has a secret identity. For 23 years this gentleman of God would come home at night, take off his priest collar and then put on a dazzling red and yellow mask and a brightly colored cape. And he became a lucha libre wrestler. A freestyle wrestler. A professional wrestler. In the ring, uh, he went by the title Friar Storm. And he did this for 23 years. He he took up wrestling to finance the orphanage uh, because uh, the authorities, the church authorities and others, uh, wouldn't give him any help to pay for the orphanage. So he became a Lucha Libre wrestler with a brightly colored mask, and he kept this a secret. The priest kept this a secret for more than 20 years. He never made a whole lot of money, but he made enough money to save the orphanage. And this orphanage has produced dozens, dozens of teachers and lawyers and computer technicians. It's rumored that uh, that uh, uh, Friar Storm Jr., one of the kids that grew up in his orphanage, has now donned his own identity and is now wrestling, doing professional wrestling as well uh, with this secret identity. So in his becoming wrestler, he became an agent of godly disruption. Now, as Christians, we all have a not-so-secret identity. And to become God's agents of godly disruption, we need to know and believe who we are in Christ. To fulfill our destiny... We must live by faith. To fulfill our destiny as God's agents of godly disruption, we need to know, believe, and live according to four realities described by Paul here in this passage. If we embrace these realities, if we live by these realities, we can become God's agents of godly disruption in our society. But all four, we must believe, know, believe, and live according to all four realities. The first one has to do with leaders, has to do with church leaders. And it's this, leaders are stewards of grace. Leaders are stewards of grace. It's what Paul is talking about, about himself god gives each leader a unique stewardship this is a unique role in the household of god it's a a stewardship of grace that is designed to benefit the people to whom the leader is sent i have a stewardship of grace that god has given me that is to benefit people i don't have this grace for myself I don't have this grace so I can make money. I don't have this grace so I can build a platform. I don't have this grace so I can be popular. I don't have this grace uh, so I can have accolades. I have this grace to see God's people raised up in the fulfillment of their destiny. It's a stewardship of grace that God has given me. In addition, Paul talks about, he says, god makes leaders ministers as a gift of grace and according to the working of god's power so my ministry here my servanthood in the midst of god's people is designed to shine forth god's grace it is given to me by god's grace that means i don't deserve it i talk to a lot of leaders uh, who get discouraged you know because they don't think of themselves very highly as a as a leader Uh, and they get really discouraged about that but i have to remind them you're not a leader because you were gifted you're not a leader because god saw that you were going to be talented you're not a leader because you look the right way or that you talk the right way or you act the right way you're a leader because god by his grace chose you to lead there was nothing in me that caused God to choose me to lead, to be a minister in his house, a minister of grace. It's all by God's grace. And in addition, there is nothing that I accomplished, nothing good that I accomplished, that I accomplish by my own power. I don't accomplish it because I'm strong enough, because I'm good enough, because I have enough faith, I accomplish whatever good I accomplish by the amazing power of God at work in me. And this is true not only of me, this is true of all leaders. And we need to understand that the primary purpose of God's leaders, people like myself, is to preach Christ, to preach Christ. I don't want to preach my talent. I don't want to preach my ability. I don't want to preach good works. I don't want to preach morality. I want to preach Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected from the dead, ascended into heaven, seated in glory, coming again. My role is to preach Jesus Christ and as I preach Christ, to reveal God's plans and God's mysteries so that as God enables me so that Jesus Christ receives all the glory. And we have to understand this. If we think that church leaders are supposed to be good administrators, or that church leaders primarily need to be very pastoral and hold people's hands, uh, which is definitely not something we do in this day and age right now, right? No, don't want to spread any diseases or anything. You know, if we think that the role of the leader is to uh, just get out there and feed the poor uh, or the role of the leader is, you know, primarily to drag people into the church, uh, then we're mistaken. The primary role of the primary leaders in the household of God is to preach Christ, crucified and resurrected from the dead. And if we don't understand that, We will not become God's agents of disruption. You see, what's happened so much in our world today is leaders have capitulated to cultural norms for what they are supposed to be and what they are supposed to do. So for many here in our our society in the UK, the idea of a church leader is that we are helping professionals. We're kind of like counselors. We're kind of like life coaches. And a lot of people like us when we're that way. Nobody has a problem with a Christian leader when they see that, oh, you know, my role is just to, to, to you know, be an agent, like an agent of the government, uh, to extend, you know, a helping hand to people in need, uh, to help the church serve as kind of like a hospital uh, for people, who are dealing with wounds in their lives. Uh, you know, and none of these things are bad, by the way. You know, I want to feed the poor. I want to do all these things. But the world has no problem. Our culture has no problem when leaders capitulate to these cultural norms. They do have a problem when we start to preach Christ as the King, the Lord, the way, the truth, the life, and nobody comes to God except through Him. That offends people because their hearts are hard and they've not surrendered their lives to Jesus. But that's our role. That's our call as leaders. So we need to know, believe, and live according to that reality. And that means how people live. You know, for for many, many churches... And thankfully not this church, but you know, in many churches, people think, okay, the leader is just there to do what I want them to do. The leader is there to make me feel good. The leader is there to comfort me. The leader is there to meet my needs. And church leaders are not there to do those things. We're there to preach Christ, to preach Christ. And when we're done preaching Christ, to preach Christ. That's our role. That's our call. And the church will never be disruptive unless church leaders are faithfully preaching Christ. And there are whole groups of Christians, whole denominations globally that are failing to preach Christ. And God is dealing with them. God is dealing with them. There's a second group or actor or reality that Paul talks about in this passage. And that is the church. The church of Jesus Christ. And we as the church are God's wisdom revealed. We as the church are God's wisdom revealed. Do you know that the Bible does not say that individually we reveal Christ. At least no place that I know of. If if you're watching this, uh, hearing this, and you know of some place where individually we're revealing Christ just by ourselves, in isolation from other Christians, please let me know. But the Bible is clearly saying, Paul is clearly saying here, that God reveals himself to the world through the church. God reveals himself to the world through the church. We are the revelation of God. Our very existence reveals God. And that might sound kind of crazy, especially you know, when we're looking here and we've got you know, 20 or so folks here. I don't know how many people are actually joining us via Zoom. You know, we've got all of this stuff going on. You see all of this. And, you know, it's, it's very easy to think, oh, well, this isn't anything. How can we possibly be the revelation of God? But we are the revelation of God. Not only do we reveal God, our very existence reveals God. Do you ever wonder why so many people in Chinese government hate the church? Because the church by its existence, is a revelation of who God is. That's why the church is oppressed and suppressed in so many countries around the world. North Korea is probably one of the most repressive regimes in history, and it absolutely hates the church. If you come out as a Christian in North Korea, they not only go after you, but they go after your family. Why? Because our existence is an affront. Our existence declares that there is a God who is the creator of the universe, who is the king, the sovereign, the judge, the righteous one, who is in control, and to whom every nation, every ruler, every leader will have to give an account. And before whom... Every nation, every leader will stand in judgment one day for how they conducted their leadership. And that's all because we reveal God. And not only do we reveal God, now this is the crazy thing, I mean it gets worse, I mean crazier, not worse, it gets better, That's crazier. Uh, the church is the wisdom of God. The church is the wisdom of God. The church demonstrates the supremacy of God's ways and God's will for living. We are the wisdom of God made known to the entire cosmos, not only to people in the world, but to the entire cosmos. Sometimes I find it difficult to really have faith in this because I know how messed up and broken we are, right? And I know how messed up and broken many of you are. And hopefully you know how messed up and broken I am. And we look at that, and we see how many times we've failed and all the mistakes we've made, and we think we're God's way of living. We are the demonstration of God's way of living, that that's wisdom, but we are. And the way that God calls us to live together, the way that God calls us to be together as the church, we are a demonstration, a revelation of the wisdom of God to the entire cosmos. Paul says here that we are a challenge and a declaration to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Now you remember last week we talked about the stoichea, you know that Greek word talking about the elementary spirits that are in operation. Well, the rulers and the authorities are demonic spirits that are in operation trying to control the destiny of nations and of peoples. The rulers and authorities are here right now. They work through all of the systems of this world. They work through the national identities of this world to try to control the destiny, the thinking, the ideas, uh, the behavior, the lives of people. And Paul says here, we are a declaration to these rulers and authorities. We are a demonstration to these rulers and authorities. We are a challenge to the rulers and authorities in the spiritual realm around us. That's what Paul means when he says in the heavenlies or the heavenly places. It's not talking about heaven up there. It's talking about the spiritual reality that surrounds us all the time. And these things, these spiritual forces are at work. There's also angels, by the way, at work uh, in this reality around us. But these spiritual forces of evil are around us, these rulers and authorities, uh, and they are influencing people and they also are being energized by the sinfulness of people. And when they see the church be the church of Jesus Christ no matter how large it is or how small it is when they see a church like City Temple live out its reality by faith in Jesus Christ live out who it really is the demons tremble because we are a declaration that those demons will fall because Jesus Christ has risen and it's risen from the dead Our existence, as I said, is a challenge to the nations and all governments because we are part of God's eternal purpose revealed in Christ. We are part of God's eternal purpose revealed in Christ. We as the church. Now you individually are important as we're going to see in a moment. But understand this. Outside the church you have no influence in the spiritual realms. Outside of union with Christ and your brothers and sisters in Christ, you have no influence. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be present in this building every single time. In fact, I know people who can't. But it does mean that your hearts have to be completely united with ours or with another group of Christians, so that we live out our lives in some way together in obedience to God in Christ Jesus. And because of this reality, when we're living this reality, when we're believing this reality, when we're holding on to it by faith, then together we have boldness and access with confidence to God through our faith in Jesus Christ. Together, that means we can boldly come before God and say, God, we pray that the power of the principalities and powers over London would be brought down so that Jesus might be raised up, so that many thousands of millions of people would come to faith in Jesus Christ. We have this kind of access to God and we can be bold with God. That means wherever you work, you can go into your workplace as part of the body of Christ, and say, God, I am coming to you. And by the way, I encourage you to get other Christians to pray along with you. But you can go into your workplace and say, God, I am coming into my workplace, and I pray that you would pull down any demonic influence in my workplace so that righteousness would rule and so that I can influence that workplace for Jesus. You can do that with your school. You can do that with your home. You can do that on the bus. You have boldness and access with confidence to God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. That is who we are. That is our reality as the church. But we need to be clear. We're not talking about some positive thinking, glory to glory, and Paul makes this very clear we're not saying that we won't have struggles we're not saying that things won't be difficult we're not saying that our whole reality might be our our whole perception of reality might be saying to us this isn't true we need to look at what Paul said he said do not lose heart because of what I am suffering for you. See, the temptation was for the Ephesians to say, wow, here's Paul. He was ministering in power in our midst. We saw that a few weeks ago. He's ministering in power in our midst. Now he's in prison. What's the deal? If if he really was a Christian, if he really was an apostle, wouldn't he get out of jail? kind of like jesus if you're really the messiah get off the cross but that's not god's ways and so paul is basically saying to them that when you suffer or you experience an apparent challenge to the reality of who we are in christ you need to resist it don't lose heart because it's not true if i get up tomorrow and i think oh man i I I feel terrible. Uh, I won't because I'll be in Scotland tomorrow, Lord willing. Uh, But if I got up tomorrow and I said, oh, you know, I feel terrible, Uh, this is awful, Uh, I feel like the most miserable person in the world. You know, that doesn't change the fact that I'm God's son, that I'm one with Christ, that I'm one with Christ's church. My feelings and my perceptions are, Do not change my reality. And we say that many times here, but it is one of the most fundamental things about Christian discipleship. Don't trust your feelings or your perceptions. Challenge them with the truth. And if you keep challenging them with the truth, then one day you'll be able to trust your feelings and perceptions, by the way. We're not denying emotions, we're not denying our perceptions. But what we're saying is you have to train your emotions and you have to train your perceptions so that your emotions and your perceptions are aligned with the truth, are aligned with reality as God declares it. That makes sense? Key for us, key for us. Do not lose heart when things don't seem to be going like they're supposed to go. The third third reality here individual Christians have the power of God at work within us, within them. Individual Christians have the power of God at work within them now. If you're a Christian, the power of God is at work in you right now. Right now. The promise here, we are fellow heirs, members of the same body. We all share in the promises of Jesus Christ. But we need to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in our inner being. So often, you know what we want to do? We want God to change our circumstances. We ask, we plead, God, please change my circumstances. Instead of that, and it's okay to pray that, But instead of that, let's start praying, God, strengthen me with power in my inner being. Strengthen me with power in the depths of who I am, because if God strengthens you with power, you can become an agent of disruption in your circumstances. You can be God's person to disrupt what's going on. We need to have faith that Christ dwells in our hearts as Paul proclaims here. And we need to be rooted and grounded in love personally. And that love is the love of God. You need to be rooted and grounded in God's love for you. You need to know that you 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 know know God loves you. And if you wonder if God loves you, read the book. It tells you God loves you. Believe it, because it's true. And we need, together with all the saints, now you will not fully comprehend the love of God alone. I guarantee you that's what Paul's saying here. We need, together with all the saints, to seize. This is what that word means there. We need to seize and personalize the full reality, the height, the depth, the width, all that of Jesus' love that exceeds our ability to know it. You will never perceive the fullness of the love Jesus has for you, but you need to grab a hold of it. You need to personalize it. It is for me, and it is for us, And that all the saints were all loved with that fierce love of God in Jesus Christ. And you take hold of that. And when you seize God's love, the love of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, when you seize God's love, it leads you to be filled with all the fullness of God. You cannot be filled with the fullness of God unless you know the love of God for you. Unless you believe the love of God for you. But get this. Listen to what Paul says. The goal is that each of us individually and all of us corporately would be filled with all the fullness of God. All the fullness of God. Is that possible? It certainly is possible. But it's only possible if you seize the love of God for yourself and say, yeah, I believe it. I'm going to live that. I know it's true. It's not about my feelings. You know, and it's not about God proving his love for you. I know a lot of folks that want God to prove his love. They're like, God, please let me feel your love. Uh, I see somebody, I see other Christians around me and they shake or they quake when they they come into the love of God and I want that experience. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that experience. But you can have that experience and not know God's love. The idea here is that it's not about proof. It's not about saying, God, give me an experience to help me feel better or, or make me feel good or make life easier for me. If you want proof, look back at the cross of Christ, which is the clearest demonstration that God loves you and God loves us. That's all the proof we need. That's the proof I live in. And you know why that's proof? Because Jesus rose from the dead. I don't need any other proof of God's love. I like it when it happens, I don't need the proof. I don't need to experience that. So we need to seize God's love for us so that we can be filled with all the fullness of God. One other reality here that I will mention, actually it's the most important reality, uh, although in some respects I'll spend the least amount of time here, and that's the reality of God. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is able to do far more abundantly. We need to believe it, and we need to live it. God is able to do far more abundantly. Believe it, live it. Paul tells us here that God, our Father, is the supreme and perfect example of a good and loving Father. In fact, every ideal of fatherhood proceeds from our father god every so he, he, he's a good he's a loving father he wants the best for us furthermore paul tells us that the riches of god's glory are for our benefit as god's people the riches of his glory the fullness of who he is and glory is for our benefit he gives it for our benefit I love that word glory. It's hard not to say glory without a preachy kind of voice. No, glory. But that's the reality. The riches of God's glory are for our benefit. And God can then do far more abundantly than we can ask or imagine. Whatever your prayer is, whatever prayer you pray, you think, oh, that prayer is too big. It's small compared to God. In fact, it is impossible for us to imagine what God can do. It is impossible for you to imagine what God can do. You can't even begin to imagine it. We only get a glimpse of it. A very small glimpse. Now, so far with all of this, most of you are probably wholeheartedly agreeing with me. But look what Paul says here. God can do far more abundantly than all we can ask or imagine according to his power already at work within us. The power of God to do far more than you can ask or imagine, is already at work within you. It's in you right now if you're a Christian. It's working in you right now, that power. You don't have to get the power from outside. A lot of times we just say, you know, God, I need more power, I need more power. But the power to do all that we can more than we can ask or imagine is there already at work within us. It's God's power. It's not our power. But that power is already at work within us so that together as the church of Jesus Christ, we can do all that God commands for the glory of God. And we can do all that God commands so that Jesus Christ can reveal the glory of God for all generations for all generations. We need to know, believe, and live according to the reality of who God is already at work within us. And if we do, if we understand, if leaders understand who they are, if we together as the church understand who we are, if you as an individual Christian understand who you are together with us as the church, and if we understand together who God is, and we believe these things, and we live according to these things, we live by faith, God will use us to change the world. And history is evidence enough. We only have to glance back over the last 2,000 years to see what God can do. God has called us to be his agents of godly disruption so that we disrupt the world, we disrupt the flesh, we disrupt the devil We do this so that we can see people and nations set free from the power of evil and come into the kingdom of God's dear Son, Jesus Christ. That's our calling. That's our destiny. We exist and we live as the church, as God's agent of disruption to reveal the glory of God in Jesus Christ. May we ever do so. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you, we honor you, we worship you, we thank you. You have loved us so amazingly and so abundantly. Father, I pray that you would help us to know, believe, and live according to these realities so that we might become your agent for disruption all across London and even the world. Let us be your wisdom revealed to the principalities and powers, the rulers, the authorities, the spiritual forces and heavenly places around us. Let us be the declaration, the revelation of your wisdom, and let us be the declaration and the revelation that Jesus Christ is the King, that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that it's all about His glory. And let these forces be disrupted so that thousands, millions of people come to faith in Jesus Christ as part of God's kingdom. We love you, we exalt you, and we praise you. And we pray all these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Today we're going to share the Lord's Supper, and I will start to prepare this area. I'd like to invite Coop and Olashina, if you would uh, come. Actually, no, uh, Olashina, you can sit. Coop, I still have you. Christine, you haven't helped out for a while. Come and, come and help serve. A little tight, but you guys can make it. Why don't the two of you stand up at the, the front corners there? We will first engage in the brand new spiritual ritual of the sanitizing of the hands. I don't know if you know. 100 years from now Christians will still be doing this and they'll probably say, why do we sanitize our hands like this? And someone will say, well, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> it's just uh, the way of all things. If you're at home, uh, I just encourage you to prepare your bread and uh, your, your juice or wine at this moment. Uh, and just to explain for those that are gathered here, uh, what we will do is, uh, after I pray <clears throat> and bless the elements, then Christine and Coop will begin passing these things around. What they'll do is, with the bread, uh, they will take the tongs and just put the bread, uh, hopefully everybody's got a little plate. If you don't have a plate that's okay, uh, you can use the little, the, just the pew right in front of you. They'll take it and set it before you. Don't grab it out, but they'll just set it on the pew, And then you take it, and then after everybody's served bread, then we'll take that together. And then uh, with the the juice this time, instead of using the tongs, because we've sanitized our hands, they will just take the cup and set it again in front of you that way, uh, just so we can maintain the good health.